Hey, everyone. There is a little swearing in this episode. It's at the end, and it's about redistricting. So if your kid makes it that far, congrats. All right, here we go. Here are some things to know about Republican Congressman Andy Harris. He represents Maryland. He is a Tea Party guy. Core Freedom Caucus, as Slate's Jim Newell puts it. He's a pretty hard right member. I would say more devoted to uh, theatrics and cutting deals. He's had one piece of standalone legislation signed into law, a post office naming, uh, since his time in Congress in 2011. Representative Harris is the kind of guy who on January 6th called into his local television station to give an on-the-ground report about the riot that had just taken place. So uh, I was actually one of the members who was on the House floor when this occurred. Obviously, the House floor was not filled with... But as he talked to a reporter about the attack, he managed to play the whole thing down. I mean, obviously, later we heard that, you know, there was a gunshot. Uh, but other than that, uh, there was no indication that this was was a truly violent uh, protest, uh, as violent as, as one that you'd worry about. Uh, but again, this, this a few hours later, as the House continued certifying votes, eventually affirming Joe Biden as the next president, Congressman Harris, he even got into a scuffle in the House chamber. But the fact is that the people have made this country work by not giving in. Go ahead, shout it out. Connor Lamb was giving a speech. Democrat from Pennsylvania. Democrat from Pennsylvania, where he said Republicans should be ashamed of what they've been doing, spreading these election lies, seeing where that had gone earlier in the day. And it sounds like about a dozen people from both sides got up, met in the middle. There'll be order in the house. And there was a confrontation. The deputy sergeant of arms comes in. And then it took Colin Allrad, who's a a Democrat from Texas and former NFL linebacker, (laughs) to come in and kind of uh, urge cooler heads to prevail. When you heard that Andy Harris was mixed up in all this. Were you surprised or were you like, oh, yeah, that that figures? That figures. The gentleman will clear the chamber. So, you know, as, as Harris himself described in a statement later, it was kind of a uh, this is not verbatim quote, but the kind of the inevitable conclusion of a very long and trying day. The thing about being a congressperson, though, is that every 10 years there's a reaping of sorts. The census happens, district maps get redrawn, and like clockwork, some members find themselves in a losing game of musical chairs. The political establishment closes ranks, shuts them out of a job. And Andy Harris, he's a Republican in a state where Democrats are dominant. So all year, the question's been, what are Democrats going to do about it? So the Democrats in Maryland have the power to redistrict Andy Harris out of existence. Did they do that? They did not. Today on the show, why a Freedom Caucus joining, conspiracy theory supporting Republican may have a bunch of Democrats to thank if he keeps his job next year. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. When it comes to redistricting, there has been a question looming over the Democrats. 
are they going to use the tools at their disposal to be as aggressive as Republicans have been about maximizing their chances of winning congressional seats? Maryland's redistricting efforts provide one answer. The state's got a large number of Black voters, government workers, and suburban liberals, all of whom are a boon to the Dems. And the party holds both houses of the Maryland legislature. So even though there's a Republican governor, a guy named Larry Hogan, the Democrats can override any GOP opposition to their maps. You know, this isn't the first cycle where it's had pressure on it from the National Party to use its supermajorities in the state legislature to kind of eke out another seat to help. Gerrymandering has really been turned into a weapon just in this kind of age of, of drawn-out fights and polarization we've been in the last 20, 30 years or so. And the National Park keeps looking at Maryland to kind of turn out another one. If people can't tell, by the way, I should just say I'm from Maryland and Annapolis, which is why I, like, wrote this <laughs> obsessive story about, like, parochial interests in Maryland. I'm going to ask you where to go get crabs at the end of this. I will, I will tell you. So the congressional delegation in Maryland went from 4-4 Democrat-Republican in 2000, then take this big leap to become seven Democrat, one Republican in 2010. Just to throw a wrench in things, didn't the Supreme Court weigh in on Maryland's congressional map just a couple years back? What did they have to say? Yeah, in that big Supreme Court case on gerrymandering, Maryland was one of the two that was thrown into the mix. And, you know, let's be clear, the Maryland map they're operating under now, it is a gerrymander. That is gerrymandering 101 there. But the, the Supreme Court kind of just threw up its hands and said, this is not an issue for us to solve. We're not going to strike down partisan gerrymandering. So with that happening ahead of another redistricting cycle, that kind of made it open season for everyone heading into this next one. And with Democrats, you know, unable to get a national gerrymandering ban through, at least so far, and it looks like ever, you know, at least in this current Congress. You know, I, I think there was a, a mindset among Democrats like, well, if Republicans are going to do it, then we're going to have to do it to keep up too. Yeah. Okay. So 2020 comes, census happens. Congressman Andy Harris basically has a target on his back. Explain to me how politicians in Maryland, Democratic politicians, saw their opportunity here. They wanted to take it from 7-1 Democrat to 8 Zero. Yes. It seems extreme. Maximal gerrymandering is, I think, how you put it. Yeah. This has been something that's been looked at for a little while and questioned, like, whether they're going to take that next step, as they did in the last redistricting cycle. And then when Andy Harris being so involved in the Trump stolen election narrative. The president was asking that uh, efforts be made to see if there were Trump ballots, to find these Trump ballots that may have been either shredded or discarded or eliminated. You know, when he played that role, then I really thought that it might actually happen, that they might go for it just because he was so, he, he had been acting so egregiously on that front. Were Democrats even making the case that this was fair? Because having an 8-0 delegation from Maryland, a state with 30% of people voting Republican, it just seems on its face unfair. A lot of the complaints about Maryland's redistricting in the last map have been, you know, the squiggly lines and the districts broken up or connected by a single street. And it just looks extremely ugly. You could actually <laughs> draw an eight nothing map that 
was a lot more compact with its districts. I mean, the reason it looks so ugly is just because you have incumbents wanting to make sure they hold on to certain things and certain constituencies. And then that's where, you know, a relatively clean map gets kind of carved up a little bit more. Okay, so you're saying like an 8-0 map could look nice. It could look better, but it would still obviously be a gerrymander. If it's a two-to-one state and the third are not getting any representation, then yeah, that's that's a gerrymander. Uh, granted, you know, the way some people in the National Party said to me was, Maryland is, is as blue as Massachusetts, but, you know, they have a completely Democratic delegation. And also, you know, states like Oklahoma and Utah, where Republicans this cycle, they cracked up their big cities to make sure there'd be no Democratic districts there so they could have Republican shutouts. So all's fair in love and elections. Exactly. They were trying to make the case that, you know, given how blue Maryland is, which people may not entirely realize, they have the justification to go for it. So who is in favor of an 8-0 map? Like, to me, I think of it as extreme. But was it extreme members of Congress who wanted this kind of gerrymander? Jamie Raskin, who I have on the record, he was saying that, you know, if we're not going to get the national gerrymandering ban, as we tried to do in the For the People Act, then we need to fight fire with fire. And Jamie Raskin, he's a senior whip. He's he's part of House leadership. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's most famous for for leading the prosecution of Trump in the in the Senate trial for his second impeachment after the insurrection. Really smart guy on the Judiciary Committee, who also, by the way, we should mention, <laughs> has a very gerrymandered district from the last map, and we'll keep that. You know, it has Montgomery County, the D.C. suburbs, and stretches up to some parts of of northern Maryland. So he was on board with that, you know, if they could get rid of Andy Harris. Steny Hoyer, the House Majority Leader, for my reporting, he was on board. Now, to be fair, he's described himself as a serial gerrymanderer. In 2017, he told the Washington Post, as long as North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Florida, and Texas, and other states pursue partisan redistricting, there's no reason to expect that those of us who are in Democratic states won't do so as well. Yeah, well, he tried to follow through on that in this this particular cycle. I mean, it seems like the people in charge of the Democratic Party really wanted this 8-0 map to happen. Yes, they did. So who was pushing back? Well, there were... A couple tiers to it. So within the congressional delegation, you had first John Sarvanes, who represents one of the ugliest districts in the country right now. Um, <laughs> you you wrote that it's been described as a broken winged pterodactyl. Yeah, that that's how a federal judge described it. Yeah, but he's a, he's Baltimore area. His father was senator. He's been in Congress for fifteen years. What's his argument? He is a reformer. He is the lead sponsor of the For the People Act, which is Democrats' broad election reform bill, which includes the ban on partisan gerrymandering. So he wants to think bigger. Yeah, I think everyone in the delegation is fine, wants to ban partisan gerrymandering on a national scale. But for Sarbanes as a lead sponsor of that and for having been kind of a crusader for the cause, being the face of this cause, from my reporting, it was just too much for him to stomach. It's a they go low, we go high argument. Yes. So it was hard to get him on board. Another member from the, from a Baltimore district, Kawise Mfume, who replaced Elijah Cummings last year, he didn't want to dilute his representation of Baltimore and specifically African-Americans in Baltimore by bringing in sort of reams of white rural Republican voters, potentially stretching to the Pennsylvania border that he would really have no connection with. 
and he was laying the, the pros and cons. He said, there's one argument where if you have, if you split up Baltimore and you have more members representing it, that could be good for Baltimore rather than just having one member represent it or two. The counter to that, he said, was once you bring in these new voters who have no connections, they're your constituents too. And you're sort of working across purposes. And the fair thing here is to stay with the seven one that we have and to find a way to make sure that we're able to make Baltimore City a little more whole than what it is. Uh, you know, I am Well, and my understanding is that the kind of things that Representative Mfume was raising, this is like a bigger issue for Democrats, where black and brown legislators often don't have the same feelings about these partisan gerrymanders as you know, they're the rest of their party. They don't want to be as aggressive. Can you explain that a little bit? The way that Democratic gerrymandering would work is that you would break up heavily African-American districts and, you know, add some Republican voters there. Uh, you know, I have to tell you that it's been Baltimore that's been chopped at and yes. bitten at for. And I think Mfume just thought that, you know, if you added more of these white voters, it would basically weaken black voting power. The city can't give anymore. It's got to have some sort of unification where communities have a semblance of being of having things in common. It is also the issue of uh, going to an all democratic um, representation in the Congress or in a state where we've got one third of the voters who are, in fact, Republicans, I don't know how you sell something like that. I think that's an overreach for me. That's a bridge too far. You just can't overlook that. I mean, his argument about basic fairness did resonate with me, where he said, you know, if we have a state where all of these people don't have at least someone that they can call their own, you know, a third of the electorate, it's a problem. Oh, yeah. No, it's a totally good point. The the counter to that from Democrats would be, well, Republicans don't think this way and don't care. But yeah, this is why you want a national gerrymandering ban so that these awful choices don't have to be made. After the break, why no one's happy with the map Maryland came up with. So after all this tussling, which included op-eds in the local papers and statements from these representatives, what did the Maryland legislature decide to do? They did trim Harris's district on the north and extend it across the bay into Anne Arundel County, more blue voters. So they made it a little more competitive. They made it more competitive. So I think 538, they give it a new lean of R plus 8. It's basically seen as, you know, in a good Democratic year, like 2018 or 2020, Democrats could win this seat. But in like 2022, probably not. So basically, they gave Democrats a chance. And they said that with demographic changes, where you do have some people from the Western Shore moving to the Eastern Shore, that this district could become blue over time. But they did not go for for the the kill, I guess you could say. For the jugular. For the jugular. And there, Andy Harris is, you know, would be a favorite to survive in 2022. Is this map that the Democrats went with, is it like a paragon of fairness? No. 
<laughs> it's still gerrymandered, right? Well, that's th- that was something else that was raised, you know, from people who are frustrated with the, the decision to stop short of eight nothing. Like, if you're going to gerrymander, gerrymander, you know, <laughs> go all the way, no half measures, all the way. It's already a very gerrymandered map. Larry Hogan, the governor of Maryland, the governor of Maryland, who's still popular, is a Republican. Um, people were worried, you know, that about his reaction and you know how much he would torch this. And guess what? He's torching it anyway. <laughs> if they had kept any 7-1 map, he would have torched it. So it seems to me like no one is happy here. Like Republicans still think the map is gerrymandered. Democrats think it's not gerrymandered enough. Right. You know, on the national level, they're they're upset because they're trying to hold on to the House, which, you know, that ship may have sailed already. But, you know, I think a lot of Democrats are like, this was the best we could do. <laughs> And national Democrats are saying, no, it isn't. You didn't get your hands dirty. You were scared of Larry Hogan or you just, you didn't want the backlash. I mean, Larry Hogan has been arguing for years now that there's a way around all this, which is to have an independent redistricting commission Mm -hmm. that carves up congressional districts in Maryland. Why hasn't that taken off? So Larry Hogan, I think, played this, Really well. You know, he knew that the Maryland legislature, with its supermajorities and the pressure from the National Party, was going to do whatever it wanted. So he set up this kind of uh, almost like a fantasy football league. He set up this, <laughs> this um, independent, bipartisan citizens redistricting commission to draw their own maps. And it was three independents, three Republicans, three Democrats. Did it have any power? No. Um, <laughs> it didn't. But they drew a map, which looks a lot like a map of Maryland might look if there was a national gerrymandering ban. It was 6-2. It was a very pretty looking map. And the, the Princeton gerrymandering consortium or whatever it's called that rates these things gave it an A. But, you know, I, I think he set that up knowing it was never going to get into law. But as a, a sort of contrast to what the legislature could have done instead so that when they didn't choose it, you know, he would have sort of a, a a constant to point to to show exactly how bad this gerrymander they came up with was. Was it surprising to you as you reported this story to see congressional leadership taking such a hardball approach here? Yeah, I would I would say national party organizations. Um I was not surprised, actually. Their job is to hold on to the House or to minimize losses as much as they can. The National Party doesn't care if someone is mad about how unpretty the map is or, you know, whether some state senator is going to get shit or not. For a congressman like Jamie Raskin, though, was this a change? You know, I don't know where he was on uh, because he was still in the state legislature in the last map. But I, I wasn't particularly surprised about his opinion here. The, the quote he gave me, he gave me a lot of good quotes. And I do appreciate him doing that. But uh, <laughs> it was, the post-Trump Democratic Party has to operate from a different mindset than the pre-Trump Democratic Party. He said the GOP agenda was basically to undermine Democratic norms. And if Democrats were just going to do this tea and crumpets, let's make it fair for everyone, then they're just going to lose and be wiped out. You know, it didn't surprise me given his experience on January 6th. I think something changed in him that was just, you know, we have a national plan to get rid of gerrymandering. If you don't want that, then the same rules are going to apply to you. I mean, you quote this former Democratic 
staffer saying Republicans win more elections because they're focused on elections and Democrats focus on policy, not elections. The problem being you can't achieve policy without winning elections, which I thought was right. But also it strikes me that some Democrats are just looking at this differently. They're basically saying, let's not play the same game the Republicans are playing. Let's pass some kind of voting reform. That's the bigger play. That's a, We should put all our eggs in that basket. I think one thing to look at, I mean, imagine if Democrats had in 2009, 2010, when I guess they were a little cocky and they had these huge you know, majorities after Obama won, if they had been prioritizing elections and you know their own future, they would have passed a national gerrymandering ban right then when they had the votes to do it. But they don't think quite like that. And I think Republicans, you know, if they ever had those kind of numbers, the first things they, they would put in place, and you see this in a lot of state legislatures, are things to make elections more favorable to them. And national Democrats just don't think like that. And I think that that's the point that that source was trying to get at. That Republicans are just constantly thinking about their survival and making sure they keep those seats. Right. And they're not worried about, you know, looking like jerks or something. You know, as we speak, they spent all year blocking anything on election reform. Um, there was a vote to start debate on voting rights about, a, you know, a couple weeks ago. There, one Republican voted for that. I mean, the Voting Rights Act, when it was last reauthorized in 2005, passed, I can't remember if it was unanimously or 99 to 1. And now they won't even entertain this restoration of the Voting Rights Act. And I think Democrats, you know, I, I think those who, who wish that Maryland had gone further here just think, if we can't be as ruthless as that, then, you know, what's the point? Jim Newell, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Jim Newell is Slate's senior politics writer. He writes the outstanding weekly newsletter, The Surge. You should really go subscribe. All right, that's the show. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Daniel Hewitt, Carmel Del Shad, and Mary Wilson. Every day, we are led by Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. And I'm Mary Harris. If you want to know what kind of places Jim recommends for crabs in Maryland, the way to find out is to follow me on Twitter, at Mary's Desk. And that way, we can all fight over the crab places together. All right, thanks for listening. I will talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.